Psalm 5, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Thank you, Charlotte, for reading that. I want you guys to know that it's true that Pastor Sam, in all the sermons and exhortations that he gave at City's Church over the last three years, he always went past his time limit. And I realize as I say that, that you've not communicated to me any time limit. And I, I feel free right now. So, so maybe you have it right. I, I, get, I get what you're doing here. It feels nice up here not to have the clock uh, bearing down. Yes, no, I, I appreciate that. And, and really it is, um, it is, like I can't even begin to tell you how excited I am to be here. I, I know that's customary for guest preachers to say, but when I think about your church and I, I look out at you here, I, my heart is just filled with joy. And as Sam said, we are united through friendship and also united um, with this common vision of, of God. We believe in the supremacy of Jesus over these twin cities and over all the nations of the earth, all the peoples of the earth. We also have a heart for relational discipleship. We believe that the Christian life cannot be lived alone, but it's meant to be lived together in community. And we want to see the gospel advance in these cities. So we, we are committed to seeing churches multiply. Not, not just churches dropping from the sky, but churches being sent out from local churches in the Twin Cities. And so those things uh, hold us together, bind us together, and it is a, a sweet partnership and relationship that we have. We love you guys at all peoples. And this summer at Cities Church, we are, are doing a series in the book of Psalms, and um, that's why we're looking at Psalm 5 tonight. This is the book that we've been in, and of course, if you're familiar with the Psalms, you know that the Psalms are prayers. This is one book, 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms, and that means there are 150 prayers. And when we read each one of these Psalms, each one of these prayers, they are actually modeling for us how to pray, how to pray. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. The Psalms model for us how to pray 
because they assume that we do pray. That's just something we need to know about the Psalms when we come to the Psalms. It's that this book has been written, this book has been composed as it is with the assumption that those who read it are those who pray. And so maybe, like right now, you don't really pray, but you want to. Or maybe um, you, you do pray, but you're not good at it, which is, I think, most people. I want you to know that the book of Psalms is meant to be a gift to you. The book of Psalms are meant to be a gift for us. If my son, my five-year-old son, John Owen, were here, he would say that the Psalms are super helpful. Because that's his favorite adjective. Everything, if it's good, it's super. All right? And so the Psalms, he would say, are super helpful to us. That's especially true of Psalm 5. Because Psalm 5 teaches us something that we have to know about prayer if we're going to pray. In fact, I think this is something that you do every time you pray. We, we all do this when we pray, although we probably never think about it. It's that if you pray, you have to start and stop your prayers, right? It's that you, you have to start somewhere in the prayer, and at some point, you have to stop somewhere. And Psalm 5 shows us how to do this, and so I'm, I'm eager to show you. And uh, in terms of the sermon, there are basically just two simple parts what we're looking at tonight, you have part one of the sermon is how to start and stop your prayers, and then part two over here is why to start and stop your prayers. And so I want to pray one more time, and then we're going to get going here. So our Father in heaven, again, we are asking, oh God, to you, it's to you that we're praying, and we're asking in this moment. Bless now the preaching of your word. We gather here with souls that are hungry. And so we need you to feed us, God, by your spirit and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So part one, how to start and stop your prayers. We see it in verses one to three. Look at verse one first. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. Have you guys ever been praying before, and as you're praying, all of a sudden it feels like you're just talking to yourself? Maybe show of hands. We're all together here. You guys have been there. I know you have. Uh, you're, you'll be saying something in the, in the prayer, maybe uh, out loud, or maybe you're just mouthing some words quietly, but then your mind wanders, and the next thing you know, you are way off in this completely different mental land that has nothing to do with what you started praying about, and then you end up feeling a little bit guilty about it because you came to this time to pray, but instead, you end up walking away from the time of prayer with a to-do list, and the to-do list is full mostly of things you forgot to do the day before. And you're just super frustrated. You just you're, you're you're praying, and then you're thinking, man, it's been a it's been a nice hot July weekend here. Sunny, great for some pool time. If it's nice tomorrow, 
I think we'll go to the pool again like we did yesterday, and I got to make sure if we do that we go probably during the baby's nap time so that, you know, they can rest. I, I, make, I have to make sure to bring the floaty vest thing, that the one that hooks in the back, and I can't, whatever I do, I cannot forget the sunscreen again. I can't, I can't forget the sunscreen. I don't want to have to ask to borrow sunscreen again like that one time I did it. And that lady was like, why don't you bring your own sunscreen? What kind of dad are you? And you're doing this for 10 minutes. And so eventually you realize you ain't praying. You're just talking to yourself. You've just been going on and on. And you realize I, I am just talking to myself. Anybody else ever had that problem? We have that problem. I know you do. That's why I think a lot of times we, we, uh, we either, either we, we pray very seldomly or we, we end up settling for this like multitasking kind of prayer life. You know, like the kind where we pray when we're on the road or while we're mowing the grass or while we're going on a run or when we're in the shower, which those are all great places to pray. We should pray everywhere, pray in those places. But there's something different happening here in Psalm 5, okay? The, the Psalm 5 kind of prayer is a different kind of prayer. and It's the kind of prayer I want to grow in. It's the kind of prayer I want you to grow in. Because this kind of prayer has a clear starting point. There, there is a moment here... In a Psalm 5 kind of prayer, a moment when you acknowledge that right now in prayer, I am doing something distinct from what I was doing two minutes ago. I'm not merely thinking thoughts. This is not merely a con continual stream of consciousness, but right now in this moment, I am praying to God. Which means right now, as I'm praying, I am speaking to God because I believe that God is able to hear me. <laughs> That's what David is saying here in this first petition in verse 1 of Psalm 5. This is a big deal. We can sort of like breeze past this. And when we do, we, we actually we lose the miracle of what's going on here. David is asking for the ear of God. David is asking for Yahweh to pay him attention. God, I'm about to say stuff to you. I, I'm going to think stuff, and I'm going to say stuff in words from my heart, and I want you to hear me. Please listen to me, God, because it's to you, my King and my God, I'm praying to. In this moment of prayer, I'm not talking to my enemies. I'm not talking to my friends. I'm not talking to myself. God, I'm talking to you. I need you, God, to hear me. That's how to start your prayers. It's what we can call like this. Is, we, we call it a, it's the snap back to reality. That's what we can call this. Um, there's this uh, little book C.S. Lewis wrote called Letters to Malcolm. And he's got some stuff in there on prayer. And, and he says in there that prayer for him is the reawakened awareness that his own thoughts are not rock-bottom realities. In other words, prayer reminds us that there's more. 
There's more than what we're able to see and know. There's more than what we're able to do, which is mostly what consumes our thought life, right? We, we tend to only think about the things within, within our reach, but prayer is that moment when we remember that the world is bigger, much bigger than us, and there are desires in our souls that exceed our abilities, and therefore we need God. We need God. It's that, it, that, that's the snap back to reality that prayer is. It starts with this recognition that God is real, that we are weak, and that he must help us. Like God has to help us. He has to. And so we pray like David prays here, prays here my, my king and my God is to you. I'm talking to you. I'm praying to you. Hear me, God, because it's to you, not me, not anybody else. It's to you, God, I'm praying to. And there are all kinds of ways that we may say this. Like, there, there's other ways to say that same thing. Another great way is in Matthew 6, our Father in heaven. That's a great way. To snap back to reality. Whatever the words may be, the point is that there is a starting point. We start our prayers with this snap back to reality. And so if that's how we start, how do we stop? Okay? How do we start? Now, how do we stop our prayers? Look at verse 3. Oh, Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. And if, if you've been reading the Psalms up to Psalm 5 here, you see that the mention of mourning here is a bit of a theme. Because in Psalms 3 through 6 specifically, there's this alternating rhythm between the morning and evening. So uh, many think that these are actually morning and evening prayers. So the Psalms are modeling for us prayers that we might pray in, in the morning at the beginning of the day, and then prayers that we would pray at the end of the day, which, by the way, that's a great practice to follow. I think there's a good chance that God created the day like it is for the sake of prayer. So like when the sun comes up, we pray. And when the sun goes down, when our heads hit the pillows, we pray. And those prayers, the morning prayer and the evening prayer, are basically bookends, and most of our life happens in that in-between. Right? Think about that. Mo that. That's where most of your life happens, in the in-between of that morning and that evening, that beginning and that end of the day, which the Psalms would say, start with prayer, end with prayer. We, at the start of the day, when we wake up, when God, the lifter of our heads, wakes us up, we, we pray and we ask God in that moment of prayer to do things in the in-between of that time and then when our heads hit the pillows. And then when our heads hit the pillows, we pray, thank you, God, for all that you did here. And then we do it the next day. And then we do it the next day. That's how God has made days. That's the morning and evening, evening rhythm of prayer. And so Psalm 5 is, is a morning prayer. And at some point, the start of the day, at some point, morning prayers have to end, right? I mean, the whole idea is that you're praying for the day because you can't pray all day. Like, David knows there's stuff he's got to do. I mean, there's business he's got to take care of. God knows that too. 
And so I think actually when, when David starts his prayer, I think he knows when he starts the prayer how, he, how he's going to stop the prayer. I think we, we all know that when we pray. We know that in the, in the act of praying, there's going to be a moment. There's going to come a moment when we have to move from the prayer itself to what is in front of us, to what is ahead of us. And this is, this is what's built into praying itself. It's almost like every prayer is about getting to this moment when you move from the prayer to what's ahead. And in verse 3, David says, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. That's another way to say, he's saying, I'm praying. And then he says, in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch that's another way to say, I'm waiting, waiting. And that's how every prayer has to end. The key word in verse 3 is this word prepare. Like the, the Hebrew word here for prepare, it really means to, to like lay out. It's like to lay out or to arrange. And um, the, the word sacrifice, which is, which is in the English Standard Version, actually, it's not actually in the original but it's been added because um, uh, translators think that David is talking about laying out a sacrifice to accompany his praying. And the reason why that's that what, what many think is happening here is because the word prepare, it, when it's used other places in the Old Testament, it's used in connection to sacrifice. So like that's the word that's used in Genesis 22 when Abraham was laying out the wood in preparation to sacrifice Isaac. This is the word that's used um, all throughout the book of Leviticus when, when the Levites are preparing sacrifices for, for Israel. It's this idea of arranging, laying out. And so it could be that David is talking about sacrifice here. Or it, it also could, could be um, the way the word is used in other places where it, this, this means to arrange. And it, it could be that David is talking here about just arranging his prayer. That, that he's, he's laying out his prayer because I think that certainly applies too. So the idea here of this arrangement, you've you got to imagine this, this, this vicious image of arranging. Like if you're, if you're going to build a fire, you're putting the, the wood, you're kind of getting everything together. That's kind of what's happening here. Except what's happening when it comes to prayer is that David is looking out, you're looking out when you do this, at all that's in front of you. You're looking out at your day, you're looking at, uh, out at what's ahead of you. And, and there are things that you desire to happen. There are things that God must do. And so you start your day in prayer by laying those things out before the Lord and you're saying to him, God, here they are. And you just put them out there. You just put those things out there. You tell God what they are and then you sit back and you wait. That's what David's doing here. He starts the day by, by prayer, by laying all these things out before the Lord. He, he lays them out before the Lord. All his issues, all his needs, all his longings, all his cries. Absalom is trying to take over the kingdom. He's been kicked out of Jerusalem. He's got all this, all this stuff going on. He's just laying it out before the Lord. In the morning, Lord, I'm laying it out here. It's right here. God, here it is. Every bit of it. All of it. All of it. Right here it is. So take it. Take it, God. And now I'm going to watch. I'm praying to you, 
Because I need to give this to you. And, and, and now I'm going to stop praying because I have given this to you. That's the moment of waiting. We start our prayers with a snap back to reality. And we stop our prayers by waiting on the Lord. And this requires a different gear of faith. We all know that it takes faith to start our prayers. It also takes faith to stop our prayers. And sometimes it's hard. It's kind of like, it's kind of like cooking with your kids. <laughs> if you guys have ever cooked and you have small children, or if you've ever seen small children, you can probably imagine how this might go. My, my oldest two daughters love to bake, and Lori, you get to bake with my kids a lot, and you do great, and they love it. Three years ago, it was a little, little bit more difficult, uh, and uh, three or four years ago, my oldest daughter would check out books from the library that were basically just, it was just cooking books from the school library, and she'd bring them home, and but we'd always would try to do desserts and bake some, some, uh, some interesting things together. And uh, my favorite one time we tried to do this, uh, this is like the infamous cream brulee we tried to do. That turned into like an egg bake. But it was like a really good egg bake, okay? It was like, like I didn't, you know, we're eating this thing and it had a weird, you know, the texture. Was, it was good, though. And, uh, and so I wish I could, could actually recreate that thing. Um, it was like a sweet egg bake. Um, but, but one of the things I noticed, going back now, this has been a few years ago, but one of the things I noticed was how reluctant I was to leave my kids alone in the kitchen. We, we, you know, we, we start each recipe, of course, and as you should do, you make sure you have all your ingredients, so you're opening up the cabinets, you're laying everything out there, and, and then once you know you have it all, then you start the step-by-step process, and Elizabeth would do most of the steps because baking is very scientific, and so you just have to follow the instructions, and so she's doing that, but as she would do that, I would sort of hang over her shoulder and monitor everything that she was doing, and it felt to me like necessary micromanagement, okay? Like, I, I, I did that because my trust for her was appropriately low because she was a child in the kitchen, and it, it was hard for me to leave my child alone in the kitchen. So here's the thing. God is not a child in the kitchen. What I mean is, we may pray about something, and we may think that we've laid it out before the Lord, but then we keep thinking about it throughout the day. And we can't get it off of our minds. And it's not that we're continuing to pray about this thing. It's that we're carrying this thing around like a burden. Like it, it becomes like a pebble in our shoe. And basically we're, we're acting like, hey, we have to keep carrying this thing. We have to keep thinking about this thing. We, we have to keep hauling this thing around because God needs our help here, right? No, God does not need our help. A lot of times when we pray, we just need to put it out there before the Lord and then we need to get out the kitchen. Because God can handle it. It takes faith to get out the kitchen. 
We start our prayer. We put it out there. We lay it all before the Lord, and then we wait on the Lord because we know the Lord will handle it. That's what David is saying here. He's saying, here it is, my king and my God, for to you do I pray. Here's everything. Here's everything. Everything. Here it is. I'm bringing it to you, and now I'm going to wait on you. That's how you stop your prayer. That's how you start your prayer, how you stop your prayer. Snap back to reality. Wait on the Lord. Now, why? This is the second part. This is part two. This is how to start and stop your prayer. Now, why do we start and stop our prayers? What is, what is the basis for how we start and stop our prayers. What is the grounds for our praying to God and then leaving our prayers with God? And we see this in verses 4 to 12, and we can summarize it this way. The basis for starting and stopping our prayers is the character of God and the promises of God. Look at the character of God here. This is verses 4 to 9. Right away in verse 4, David is explaining why he can wait on the Lord. He says, verse 4, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evil doers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. In other words, David is saying that God is righteous. David can pray to the Lord and wait on the Lord because he knows who the Lord is. David is praying to God according to his knowledge of God. And this is really important for us. This is why theology matters. Okay, This is why what you think about God matters. David is not praying here and just throwing up a bunch of random stuff hoping something's going to stick. That's not what he's doing here. Instead, David is coming to God based on the ways that God has revealed himself. David knows the character of God. And the character of God includes God's absolute moral purity. God always does what is right. And he only delights in what is right. And here in Psalm 5, David says this in the negative. It's that God does not delight in wickedness, and evil may not dwell with him. The righteousness of God means that he does not tolerate sin. God is never easy on sin. In fact, God hates sin. And this gives David confidence when he prays. Those who are set against David, those who in defiance of God are trying to destroy David are those whom God despises because God is righteous. David knows that no matter what, however this thing with Absalom might shake out, God is going to do the right thing because God only always does the right thing. And so David can leave it with him. That David can leave it with him. All that he has laid out before the Lord. What, what he needs. is he, he needs all of this to be worked out according to what is right and true. And he knows God will do that because God only does 
what is right and true. And so we can pray the same way. This is how we learn to pray. We, we can pray the same way as David. If you're in a situation where you've been wronged, if you're in a situation where you've been sinned against, maybe you've been lied about, maybe there are people who are set against you, you can pray to the Lord and you can leave it with the Lord because the Lord is righteous. Ultimately, all that there is will be all that is right. David knows that. The basis of David's prayer is the character of God. He knows that God is righteous. He also knows that God is merciful. Look at verse 7 here. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. All right, something, something important has happened here in verse 7. If you think, if we think, long and hard enough about the righteousness of God, like if you really consider the unspotted moral purity of the holiness of God, it won't take long before you think about your own soul and your own story, and you're like, wait a minute. Wait a second, right? I mean, we know there's a lot of evil out there. There are evildoers in this world who have set themselves against God. But then what about the evil in my own heart? Like, what about the sin in my own heart, the sin in my own story? Because David had that, didn't he? Like, we can read about it. We can read David's story. We can, we can read about the sin in his life. So then what makes David any different from the wicked? In verse 4, David says that, that evil may not dwell with God. Then in verse 7, David says that he is entering into God's house. Now, how does he do that? How does David enter God's presence? The answer is at the beginning of verse 7. It's through the abundance of God's steadfast love. Verse, verse 7 begins, he, he says, But I, but I, as in different from the wicked, unlike the deceitful men, I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. David knows that God is merciful. And he knows that God's mercy is his only chance. That's the only way that David can be near God. That's the only way that he can worship God. It's because God is the merciful God who forgives the sins of everyone who seeks his mercy. And David has done that. So David is near God not because David never sinned, but because he has been forgiven for his sins because he sought the mercy of God. And this leads us to a super important question. The question is, how can God be both righteous and merciful? How can God never tolerate sin? Like, sin never goes unpunished. And yet, at the same time, He forgives those who have sinned. Like, if God... If he lets sin go, then he fails to be righteous. But if God doesn't forgive the repentant, then he fails to be merciful. So how does it work? The answer is the cross of Jesus Christ. 
when Jesus died on the cross, we see the righteousness of God in that all the sins of God's people were punished. Nothing gets swept under the rug. Every sin, every wrong, every injustice by the people of God was met by the wrath of God. God punished sin because God is righteous. And it was Jesus who took that punishment because God is merciful. And so God, in his divine forbearance, he forgives David by looking ahead to the cross of Christ. Forgiveness is because of the cross. And this is what it means for you. <laughs> this is what it means for us. It means that if you seek the mercy of God, if you seek the mercy of God, whatever your story is, Wherever you're coming from, whatever you've done, if you seek the mercy of God, you will be forgiven. Because the punishment you deserve for your sin is punishment that Jesus took upon himself when he died on the cross. This is the best news in the world, right? This is the best news in the universe. This is the abundance of God's steadfast love. This is the love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross. This is the love that David knows. This is it's through this love that David has been forgiven and brought back into relationship with God. And it's based upon this love that David knows God is for him. And so David can pray upon this, based upon this love, David can pray, verse 8, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Isn't it interesting that David, so loved by God, still has enemies? He still has enemies. He's loved by God. Through the abundance of God's steadfast love, he enters God's house. He worships. He bows before the Lord, and yet he has enemies. These enemies are set against him, and they're full of deceit. This is interesting how the enemies are described here as, as deceitful. Look at verse 9. There is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Lies are demonic. See this? And so David prays in the middle of all this. Because of God's love, he prays, God, lead me. Guide me. Be with me, God. Make your path straight before me. And David can pray to God, and he can leave his prayers with God because, because he knows that God is righteous and merciful. David knows the character of God, and he also knows the promises of God. And when I say promises, I mean all the things that God has committed to do in the future according to his character. Okay, So if the character of God is who God is, then the promises of God are 
or what God will do because of who he is. And we see this in, in verses 10 to 12. We see two things here. First, because God is righteous, God will judge the wicked. David prays in verse 10 for God to make the wicked bear their guilt. He's basically asking for the wicked to implode. That's what he's saying here. Make them fall by their own counsels. Make them trip by their own feet because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out. Because they've rebelled against God, because they are enemies of God, David knows that God will judge them. That's why he can pray this way and leave this prayer with God. The character of God is that he is righteous, and the promise of God is that he will judge the wicked. Then second we see, because the character of God means God is merciful, God will bless all those who take refuge in him. Listen to verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. And spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. This is one of those places in my Bible that years ago I highlighted this thing, scribbled on it. I've come back to it and re-highlighted and re-scribbled. And that's because I think that what David says here is amazing. This is just amazing what he's saying. It has to do with how he explains God's blessing. We know now, by the time already in Psalm 5, we know that God will bless those who trust Him. We see that in Psalm 1-1, in Psalm 2-12, in Psalm 3-8. We see it here in Psalm 5, verse 11. We know that God will bless those who take refuge in Him. And now, in Psalm 5, we see a little bit more of what that blessing means. Here, here it is. Is that God blesses his people by protecting their joy in him. Look at the third line there in verse 11. And spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exult in you. This is what he's saying. He's saying, protect them so that they are happy in you. That's what he's praying. Protect them so that they're happy in you, so that they exult in you. Spread your protection over them, over your people, over all those who love your name. Spread your protection over them so that they exult in you. Protect them so that they're happy in you. This is what that means. We can, this is what we take home right here, okay? It's this. God must guard our gladness in him. He must. God must guard our gladness in him. I remember growing up, like, one of the most common, uh, kind of jargony prayers that we would pray is for protection. Protect so-and-so, protect so-and-so, protect so-and-so. Lord, just protect them. Lord, just protect them. And, you know, it's like... Protect them from what? You know, it's, it's kind of a, you know, and it's all the, the boogeyman, the, you know, uh, all the bad stuff out there. And, and what we see here is in some more content. What do we really need to be protected from, right? 
I mean, I think this is the hope behind why we pray any prayer. This is what we need more than anything else. Of, of all the things that we need to be protected from, isn't this the main thing? Of all the hardships we face, however difficult our circumstances might be, the biggest threat on our souls are the attacks on us that seek to drain our joy in God. I want you to know that. Whatever you got going on, whatever hardship you're facing, the greatest threat, the greatest threat on your soul is the attacks that seek to drain your joy in God. At the end of the day, the details of your hardship are not ultimate. Hear me, hear, hear that. The details of your hardship are not ultimate. What is ultimate is God and our rejoicing in Him. And so God, come what may, protect that. Protect that. God must guard our gladness in Him. He has to. Has to. I want to be an old man who is glad in God. I want to go home to Jesus, glad in Him. That's what we want. If that's going to happen for us, God has to guard us. He has to protect our joy in Him. And here's the thing He will. That's His promise because of His character. And that's why we can start and stop our prayers. How does David start and stop his prayer? How do we start and stop our prayers? By snapping back to reality and waiting on the Lord. Why do we start and stop our prayers? It's because of the character of God. Because God is righteous. And merciful. It's because of the promises of God. The God who is righteous is the God who will judge the wicked. The God who is merciful is the God who will bless all of those who take refuge in Him. And that is our hope. Let's pray. Indeed, Father. Oh, we take refuge in You. We take refuge in you. We're not looking anywhere else. We're not praying to anybody else. You, God. We take refuge in you and we ask, come what may, guard our gladness in you. Protect our joy in you. And bring us home safely. In Jesus' name.